Good evening and welcome to Matters of Life. I'm John Lucier, and I'd like to thank each of you for joining me on this episode. And thank you, first and foremost, for standing for the Lord, for righteousness and justice in the earth. You know, we're coming up on a, a very important time in the world, but especially amongst the, I'll say, the, those that are followers of Christ. Here, coming up within the next couple of weeks is Passover, and or Easter, and with that also Resurrection Sunday. It's a very important time, not just in Scripture and for us, but also in the world, because there are clearly many things happening, and many things that we must still, I'll say, endure or go through, while we yet prepare for all that the Lord has in store. And I'll tell you that it was, it's no different today in many cases than it was back during the time of Moses and what Passover was all about. It was signifying and marking the deliverance of Israel from the land of Goshen in Egypt and bringing them out. And that took faith, hope, or trust in the Lord, but it also took a demonstration of a, or that was demonstrated, I should say, by their obedience to all that He had commanded them. And we're going to go over that tonight because of not just its significance, but its importance and what's happening even today in in life and in our world, whether that's in the United States or, or in any other nation. Although, for me, primarily, this is going to center and focus around the United States and what the Lord is doing in this nation. Let the Lord speak to you concerning your nation. But He is doing this in many ways and facets around the entire globe. So we're going to begin in Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14. Provide a little background. In chapter 11, the Lord came to Moses and told him that he was going to send one more plague. And that was going to be, or that was going to bring about the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, that Pharaoh would let them go after this plague. And he told them what it was. But in chapter 12 begins by saying this. <clears throat> now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. 
You shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled, at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until the morning, but whatever is left in, left of it until the morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you in the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So we're going to pause there on the on reading of the scripture for a moment. Because there are some key points that I am being led to bring out. The first is what the Lord says concerning Passover. That month, and Passover specifically, right, shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year. Now, I know there, there are going to be some that are saying and thinking to themselves, well, well John, I've studied the Jewish calendar. And Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the year. And, okay, I hear what you're saying, but what is Rosh Hashanah? And it's taken from Leviticus 23, actually verses 23 through 25, which says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel in the seventh month, the first of the month is to be for you a day of complete rest for remembering a holy convocation announced with blasts on the shofar. Do not do any kind of ordinary work and bring an offering made by fire to the Lord. The Lord declared very plainly, what is the first month and what is the seventh month? Rosh Hashanah, according to the Lord in his calendar, in his days, is falls in the seventh month. And it was given a different name, actually. After, actually, if we, we study it out, find it known by Yom Teruah, which is a day of sounding or a festival of trumpets, which the significance and the importance is a calling or a regathering of the Lord's people. Oftentimes we hear it taught or stated about the Lord sounding his clarion call. That's what that day is to signify. 
It's a regathering of his people and reminding them, hey, prepare yourselves. That's why it falls in the midst of what's known as the high holy days. It's a, it's a place as what has become known as Rosh Hashanah. It's, become, it's a place to regather and return to purity in the Lord. A day of repentance. But here, for Passover, the people are to already be prepared. They are to already have sacrificed the lamb. But the key thing is, it's the first. It signifies or marks, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year. And the importance of that is exactly what's said in in Romans concerning our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, saying, for those who God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers or many brethren. So it's important for us to recognize that. This is just yet another reminder built in by the Lord teaching his people, his plans and his purpose and what he was going to do in his redemptive work on the cross, being our Passover lamb, and which is exactly what John the Baptist said of Jesus. And that's in the book of, or the gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. Says the next day he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he, on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel. I came baptizing with water. And then John the Baptist also testified, saying, I've seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. And it remained, he, the Holy Spirit, remained upon him, that is Jesus. And he said, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, Upon him, he is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The question actually asked by Isaac in Genesis, where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? was answered there in the scripture we just read. By John the Baptist. But he also, in this section in Exodus chapter 12, gives very specific instructions to the congregation, to all of Israel. And he's saying, on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves. Now, 10 is a very significant number in Scripture. 
and it typically signifies a divine order. Not to be confused with the number 12, which is signifying a governmental order, but 10 is divine order. But it says each one is to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household. A lamb for each household. When it comes to Christ, each person individually has to have their own relationship with him. Notice this is in the instructions. The Lord has been saying this from the beginning. We each have to have our own relationship with him. And then he gives specific instructions on how to eat this lamb, how to prepare it, how it's supposed to be unblemished, just like our Lord and Savior was. He was without sin. Or as the Apostle Paul writes in his letters, that we are to be without spot, wrinkle, or blemish before our Lord and Savior. Now, we could not do that without without Christ, without Jesus coming and giving himself, redeeming us from death, sin, and the curse. Well, let's also understand how they were to eat it. Ready. Prepared to move. Are we also not in a place where we, the Lord's people, are prepared? While we are waiting for the Lord, the waiting is not just sitting still. It comes with expectation and anticipation of what the Lord is about to do. We are to be ready. The Lord gave us those specific instructions. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Which is part of the reason that the Lord's leading me to give you this, this lesson now, as opposed to on Passover. Because if, it, if I gave it to you on Passover, you would not have time to get ready. You would not have time to be prepared. You would only have time enough to make the choice to get ready, not to actually be ready. And the Lord always provides what we need long before we have need of it. He always gives ample time and instruction for us. And by ample time, I mean he gives us enough time that we need to make that choice of what we're going to do. Which ultimately comes down to, are we going to serve him with obedience or not? That's why he gives them the, the sign and the instruction that it is the Lord's Passover and that he says, I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and strike down all the firstborn and execute judgment, or ex- uh, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. But then he says this, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, this is of vital importance. Every other plague where the fell in the land of Egypt did not touch 
his people in the land of Israel. Not at all. They, as in the, they were kept safe by the Lord. Nothing harmed them. But there's a difference about this plague. This plague did not discriminate where someone was and who they, by birth or even stated they believed, it did not discriminate against Egypt, which represented the world, and Israel, God's cho- representing God's chosen people. Now that expands today, of course, because of the redemptive work of Christ. And even in the Old Testament, he said many times, I have sheep that are not of this fold. Talking about those within or amongst the Gentile nations that the Lord was calling for himself and for his purposes. That he was grafting in to the vine as a seed of Abraham. Even though not biologically. Again, Abraham was not a Jew or Hebrew himself. He came from Ur of Chaldea. He received it by faith, which is how we are all to receive it. But isn't the same thing said in Acts 15.9? said that he made no distinction between them, for he cleansed their hearts by faith. Talking about what the Lord did while Peter was visiting the house of of a Gentile. So if you will do it in the positive and in receiving, why would his judgment be different? We are to be prepared because this is speaking of our salvation. And and I I really sense the need to, to stress this. There were people here that had, I mean, ultimately we all have to be obedient to the Lord and what he is telling us and instructing us to do. They were to take the blood, dip hyssop in it, and put it over the doorposts and the lentils. But anyone who refused to do that would have experienced the same fate as those that were in opposition to the Lord. That is what the Lord has said he is looking for from the beginning. He, even, he said it in multiple times in Scripture, I desire obedience rather than sacrifice. And this was a, if you will, you can call it judgment, but it was also just. It separates or distinguishes those who are obedient to the Lord from those who are not. Those who, for them, God is their God and they are his people. Where the real structure of that, as we've been discussing, is God is my father, and I am his child. Which is what the Lord 
and the structure he set up from the beginning because that's what he desired. And you will find that in no other religion. It is always a serving and a sacrifice required for whatever God they have chosen to worship. Where God just says, let me be your father and you be my child. That comes from obedience, from believing he is and confessing it in our obedience. Because if we believe in him, if we, if we believe in him, so we would then have to trust him or have receive him by faith, as it said. Then we should also love him like a father. And we demonstrate our love and our faith in him through our obedience. But again, there are many, I'll say even today, the Lord knows, that have lived in the land of Goshen, if you will, modern day Goshen, where whether that's in a Christian household, whether that's in the church, and they're experiencing all these blessings and benefits and and the protection and the safety and all the the wonder-working power of the Lord, but aren't actually in obedience to Him. They want to live and eat the good of the land while trying to live like the rest of the world or the rest of the nations. And by that, I mean what's referred to in Scripture, Gentiles, those that are in opposition to the Lord. And the Lord's making a distinguishing difference. He's saying, you need to be obedient to me. And it's very fitting that the Lord shed his blood for us. And it's his blood that washes us white as snow. He was looking for his blood. Have we been washed in it? it sounds exactly what like what David writes in Psalm 51. I'll read the first 12 verses. He said, and this is David, of course, when he sinned with, with Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet had come and confronted him concerning it. He said, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you make me know wisdom. Or you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. That's what Jesus said he was looking for. If anyone was willing to do his will, that he would know. But we have to put things in rightful place and order in our lives towards the Lord. Repent if we are in opposition to him or at war with the Lord. And turn. Hebrew is a very pictorial language. The Lord said this month, the month with Passover, it was the first month of the year. But what has happened when there is a rejecting of the Lord? We tend to do things that are in opposition, but that are also incomplete, uh, a complete 180 of what he said. Changing even times and seasons. Isn't that exactly what is said about the Antichrist in Revelation? He would come and he would change seasons and times, or excuse me, laws and times. Rosh Hashanah is the seventh month. That's almost a complete 180 from what the Lord said. This is the first month. This is the beginning of the year. The seventh month cannot be the beginning of the year. The seventh month actually is seven stands for the number of completion. There's also a symbolic of what Moses said to the people. He said to them when he had written the book of the law, and he put it next to the tabernacle. He said, every seven years, you are to read this book. And it was a reminder of all the things the Lord had done and brought them through and about the, the relationship that he desired with his people and the obedience he expected, that the Father expected from his children. And it gave them opportunity to come back into that right relationship, to repent, to turn from their ways and realign themselves with the Lord, with their Heavenly Father, as He had designed it. Let's continue. I'll start in verse 23 of Exodus 12. It says, For the Lord will pass through and smite the Egyptians. And when He sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. 
Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. You know, was in going through this, this section of Scripture and what the Lord did and was doing. Again, we, are, we read about how we are to be washed in His blood. But again, we said it was sin and disobedience, that rejection of the Lord, which causes us to be in opposition to him. And I was reminded of, well, in Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is standing before Pilate. I'll actually begin reading in verse 22. And he says, Pilate said to them, what sh- Then what shall I do with Jesus, who was called Christ? They all said, Crucify him. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people said, His blood shall be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas for them. But after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. When we talk about opposition, Jesus always intended the blood to be over them, for them to be washed in his blood white as snow. But instead they chose to shed his blood. And said, his blood shall be on us and our children. But instead of it being there to wash them white as snow, it's, it was there because of the rejection. Crying out against them. Just like Jesus said of all the prophets to Abel. That the blood in the ground cried out against them. Because they had murdered them. So the lack of blood and the misuse was actually there crying out for judgment. And I'll I'll say it in this way, excuse me, if you will, in the form of a curse because they had cursed God in their hearts because he they, the people there, rejected him, chose to be in opposition to him. And it's not that the Lord had cursed them. It's that they, not unlike Balaam, were teaching their children how to reject the Lord, how to curse God in their hearts. And that has been taught throughout the generations. 
And so just recognizing him for who he is, who Jesus the Christ, the Messiah is, he was rejected. And then has been taught. He, to the generations, to each generation, passed down to every generation, how to reject the Lord. Now, not all, some, many have turned. Many have come to know the Lord and not just know about him, but actually enter in a personal, deep and intimate relationship with him as the Lord had designed and desired the whole time. Actually put, putting Jesus in his rightful place as Lord and Savior, as the way, the truth, and the life to salvation, which was exactly how it was designed from before the foundation of the world at Pentecost, excuse me, at Passover. Not just his death, but the rising again, which he also gave to us. That even though we died, we would live, those that believe in him. And as the, even the one of the people on the cross with him said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus told him, today you will be with me in paradise. So understanding what Jesus did on the cross and how he designed and meant it to be. And if we haven't entered into relationship with him, if we haven't allowed him to wash us white as snow, there's no other time like the present. So we can be prepared. This is also an interesting thing, tying back to the blood of Christ and how we are to be washed in it. In John 13, I'll read verses 3 through 7. This is talking about at the Lord's Supper. It says this, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. But not all of you, for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. 
So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So in this, understanding who Jesus is, he is our Lord, he is our teacher, our Savior, but also it's he who washes us white as snow. It's he who covers us or bathes us in his blood. Covers us in his blood. Purifying us. That we can stand before him and before our heavenly father without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. But there is an important part that's both in here and also what we read Back in Exodus, that section with verse 23, they didn't, they worshiped the Lord, but they didn't just worship the Lord. So the people bowed low and worshiped, but then they went and did. They went and did what the Lord was commanding them or telling them to do. And Jesus said very plainly at the Last Supper, He said that he had given them an example. An example of what they were to do. Of how to wash another's feet. How to, if you will, which is symbolic and a metaphor for what the Lord did at Passover. How to bathe someone. Or as David said it, wash me in hyssop and I will be clean. The Lord is the only one that can remove spot, wrinkle, and blemish. That can remove sin and iniquity from our lives. And in, in all this, let's recognize that, but also recognize what the Lord is doing in, even in this nation. He is the one that's purifying, that is getting ready to pass over. And he's looking for those that are his, who will be obedient, who have entered into covenant with him and are being obedient, that trust him for his word and trust him or believe in him, express and demonstrate their love and their faith for him by their obedience, to say what he says to say and do what he says to do. To bring about his purposes, his plans, that the Father is glorified in and through us. And that we, his people, his children, reflect his very character, nature, and attributes in every area and aspect of our life. Because the Father... Our Heavenly Father, our God, 
is the only one that knows what we need before we even know we have need of it. If we would only listen and do all that he has said and spoken and is speaking to us, that's how we will be able to distinguish, but that the Father distinguishes those that are his from those that are in opposition to him. So just take the time and opportunity to make things right with the Lord, to prepare our, your heart, examine yourself for you as we prepare to enter into Passover and this Passover time. Because it is a celebration, as the Lord said, and it's something that is to be celebrated. That's what he said at the beginning of chapter 12. It's a memorial. Not just for us, but for our children and our children's children to be passed down through the generations of who the Lord is, but who he is to us and what he's done for us. How he came with an outstretched hand and when he delivered the children of Israel. You know, we used to sing the song about there being wonder-working power in the blood. Well, I think we've gone over quite a bit of that on this episode. There's still wonder-working power in the blood, in the precious blood of the Lamb that washes us white as snow, that delivers us and makes us free from burdens and from sin. There is power in the blood. And it's for you and your household, as well as it is for me and mine, for anyone that would believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. So I just encourage you to choose him, to choose Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the Redeemer. And he is redeeming, has, has redeemed his people, but he's also our deliverer. And he has delivered us from death, sin, and the curse. And he is delivering us from all that has attempted to ensnare us and entangle us in this life and in this nation. He's the only one that can do it. So I encourage you to trust in him fully with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. Love you. God bless you. And have a wonderful evening.